as you're taking your seats, please go ahead and open up your Bibles to the first book, Genesis chapter 12. Well, I just want to start this morning by asking if you have any personal heroes. Lots to choose from, lots of different types of heroes out there. You know, there are those heroes who have accomplished something great in this world for humanity, maybe uh, humanity at large or maybe just a smaller group of individuals. There's heroes who have accomplished something remarkable in a particular area that maybe you are interested in, maybe something you know, scientific or maybe something in, in the arts, in literature, or maybe it's somebody in the sports realm who is, who's done or continues to do something remarkable that you look to. Maybe your hero is the kind of hero that has done nothing spectacular at all. This is what they call the everyman hero, the, the hero who just stays the course constantly, just doing what is right and doing what is noble, living a life from beginning to end that is admirable. I don't know what kinds of heroes you have, but you know, for those who are in Christ, for followers of the Lord Jesus, the best kinds of heroes are heroes in the faith. Those who, when you watch their life and, and you consider the the steadfast devotion that they show to the Lord, the the enduring commitment that they have in in faithfulness and godliness just makes them stand a little bit taller than the rest. You know, that's that's why we, we use that figure of speech. We look up to them. Well, this morning I want to kick off a a summer series that we're going to do in considering some of these people. We've called these series of messages Giants, Finding Spiritual Refreshment from the Lives of the Faithful. And it's good for us to have heroes. It's good for us to have men and women that we look to. And in doing this, we're paying attention to Paul. His command in the Word of God, he wrote to the Philippian church in chapter 3, verse 17. He said to the church there in Philippi, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Watch out for them, he says. Watch out for these people. Linger over their lives. Keep watch on the model that they're setting so that you too can follow in their footsteps after the Lord and live a life of faithfulness. Maybe there's someone in your life that you're looking at their walk and and their steadfast devotion to the Lord has been such an encouragement to you and it spurs you on in the same way to, to live likewise. We find many such examples in our lives and we find many such examples in our Bibles. I was thinking last night of, of Elijah. Elijah, James says, was a man of like nature as ours. And he prayed and, and God did many great things through his prayers and, and I think James reminds his readers of Elijah's human nature as a way to bring refreshment to us where we can look at these men and women in the Bible and we can say we're like them and they're like us and we we understand what they went through and we can resonate with them and we know that they could relate to us as we all are are striving to follow the hero of all heroes, the king of all kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our perfect hero hero, but as we look at others who have lived their lives for him, we can identify with them, and we can be refreshed by seeing their example so that we can try 
and live likewise. Today we're going to look at Abraham. And together we're going to seek to have refreshed faith. Refreshed faith. And Abraham, when we think of Abraham, he is certainly a giant in the faith. He's the first of the patriarchs. He is the father of, of the Israelites, the, the first among the Jews. In our 66 books of our Bible, Abraham is mentioned at least in some part in 27 of the books. It's remarkable how, how great of an influence this giant in the faith has had throughout the centuries. And as we look back upon those who have gone before us, often um, there's some you know, small way we can describe someone's life. Maybe you think of people who have left a mark on your life and you, and you can think of just a, a small summary statement that they've left in posterity. You know, some it's their generosity. Some it's you know, their laughter. It's, it's their love for, for music. It's, it's their commitment in, in prayer. You know, a few things are said in our Bibles about Abraham. Just really short statements about who he is that give us a really wide look at this man of God. Abraham is called multiple times in the Scriptures the friend of God. The friend of God. Wouldn't you like to be remembered as a friend of God? Elsewhere, Abraham is called the father of us all. In the book of Romans, as Paul is, is talking about how works of righteousness, good deeds, could never accomplish our salvation. He says it's only those who are of faith that are true children of God. And then he points back to Abraham and he says, Abraham is the father of all who believe. Speaking of faith in Galatians 3, verse 9, the Apostle Paul, again writing about Abraham, simply calls him the man of faith. The man of faith. If there's anything that Abraham is most remembered for, it's his faith. And of course, it wasn't a perfect faith. Abraham is not a perfect hero. We're not looking to worship him this morning. His life was certainly had, had some doubt in it, some fear. Definitely we see lying and, and tr- trusting in himself taking matters into his own hands at times, but overall, as we look at the life of Abraham, and as it's summarized for us by further biblical writers, we see that we can look to Abraham as a model of faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 gives us a definition of what faith is. The writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. In other words, the conviction of things not seen. That's Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Faith is being fully convinced of what was and is and what is to come even without physical evidence. Faith is an absolute certainty about that which is true, though my hands can't reach out and touch it and my eyes can't see it. Abraham staked his whole life on his faith in God. On his belief that the Lord would be true to his promises, that that God is who he says he is, and God will do what he says he will do. Abraham's life is a 175-year journey. 
full of ups and downs and twists and turns. But this is life, isn't it? We don't know what's around the corner. Often we, we just can't wrap our minds around some certain truths or how what seems so inconceivable is actually going to become a reality. There's times that God puts us somewhere where we would have never thought in a million years, let alone 175 years, that God would have us. This is our life. And this was Abraham's life. And through it all, he's commended by God as an example for us to look to and to learn from as a man of faith. So as we consider Abraham's life this morning, let us seek spiritual refreshment as we're called to trust God in all of life's up and downs and twists and turns. And the first way that God's word teaches us this, it says, trust God in the inherently unknowable. Trust God in the inherently unknowable. And I use these particular words because when it comes to tomorrow or, or next year or even just five minutes from right now, the, the simple fact is that part of the very nature of future is that for us, we simply cannot know. We do not know. Only God knows all the details, all the exact circumstances that are yet to come. Often we talk as though we know, right? We, we like to think that we know what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. And we like to think we know how someone's going to respond to something in our lives or, or how we're going to respond to something that God puts in our lives. We, we like to think we know. We, we think that we would like to know, but by God's grace, He doesn't show us all that's going to come. We simply don't know. We can't. And this is because God wants us to have faith. He wants us to exercise trust in Him, believing that whatever it is that He's calling us to do, that He's in it, He has a plan, and His promises will never fail. And these are the exact circumstances in which we are introduced to Abraham in our Bibles. At the end of chapter 11, Abraham comes on the scene up until this point. He, he is just another name in the genealogy. He's just another son of a son of a son. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 12, God draws him out and he pulls him out for us. Look at chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, that was his original name, the Lord changed it to Abraham after. He said, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. Then I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You can just imagine Abraham hearing this all of the sudden from the Lord, and all the what-ifs that must have come into his mind, right? Like, what? wait a second, what, what land? Is it going to be like my land? Is, what, what about my extended family? Will I ever see them again? How exactly will I and, and my wife and our nephew become any sort of nation at all, let alone a great nation? How will my name 
be great on this earth? You know, what if, those, what, if they, what if the people who are in that land don't appreciate us just showing up? What do you mean, God, all of the families of the earth will be blessed through me? Abraham was probably fine to just live out the remainder of his, of his days in the land that he was born and raised. He wasn't planning on going anywhere. He was probably quite comfortable just where the Lord had him and now this. The Lord comes and he makes all these extravagant promises to him and he tells him, he says, Abraham, get up and go. And now look at verse 4. So Abraham, or Abram, went as the Lord had told him. What, what faith we see just in that, in that alone. Abraham takes God at his word and he says, okay, Lord, you told me to go. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I'll go. I'll trust in you. And Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith it's called, comments on, on Abraham. We're going to put up on the screen verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. Just put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Hebrews chapter 11 goes on to say, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He heard a promise from God. And he believed that promise. He trusted that God was with him and God was going to be with him wherever he went. And I don't think it's insignificant that the writer of Hebrews just happens to mention that they lived in tents. Just always on the move, not, not settling just in one particular place. You know what it's like to live at times out of a suitcase. and Abraham just fixing his eyes on the promise of God. That God was in it. That God had something in store for him. And following in faith, even in the uncertainty of it all. He believed in his heart. And then he obeyed with his life. His actions demonstrated what was inside of him. I love what John MacArthur says. He says, the person of faith lives out his belief. His life is committed to what he is convinced is true. If the Lord said it, he means it. Even if there remain several question marks for me, and even if things along the way end up going a different way than I thought that they were going to go, How often might we begin along a certain journey in life living in faith only to see that something goes a different way than we were expecting and we, we think things are going you know, wrong and this equals, oh, this must not be God's plan for me anymore. We, we think that following God sometimes or always has to be easy when sometimes it gets very very difficult. Abraham saw this. You know, he, he obeyed. He trusted in the Lord. He went to the land of promise. And no sooner does he get there, there's a famine. No food. 
A little further on in Abraham's journey, his nephew Lot gets caught up in the middle of of multiple kings going to battle against multiple other kings. Lot is carried and and taken away, and Abraham has to go and and find him. Things don't go completely smooth for, for Abraham and for his nephew Lot and his wife Sarah. But through it all, not knowing exactly where he was going or exactly what he was getting into, Abraham continued to have faith in the Lord and continued to follow the Lord's leading even when times got tough. Is God leading you to an unknown place today? Is God taking you somewhere and you're not exactly sure what all the the details along the way are going to look like? We need to think about God's leading here in a specific way just for a moment because um, oftentimes we read something like this and, and we think that it's quite normal for the Lord to speak to certain individuals. Actually, if you read your Bible really, really carefully and discerningly, you'll, you'll see that when it says, the Lord said to, and there's a particular person there, that this is really, really rare in Scripture. This isn't the normal way that God leads His people. I love what Pastor Ted said just a couple of Weeks ago when he was here, he said, if the Lord were to appear to you or I today to give us instruction for our life, he would tell us simply, read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. This is how primarily and objectively God leads us through his word that he's given to us. And yet, even in saying that, that doesn't mean that God doesn't subjectively lead us through his spirit within us. I just need to say this, if, if that's the way you're feeling led by the Lord today, make sure that it's not contrary in any way at all to the Word of God. Too many times we hear people say, you know, I, I believe God's leading me, or God spoke to me, or, or I'm prayed about it, and, and I believe that I have peace about it because, because God has, has made it clear to me, and yet, whatever it is that they're talking about, we could simply just turn to a, a chapter and verse in God's Word and say, well, what about this? Does it not seem to maybe say something a little different than what you believe maybe the Lord's leading you in. So just be careful in that regard. God does lead us by His Spirit in the inner man, but we need to be careful. And as I said last week, even in the context of of, um, choosing or pursuing a spouse, wherever it is we believe God's leading us, surely God's not leading us in a vacuum apart from what all our, our godly brothers and sisters might be saying as they speak into our lives. So when God is leading me, he's confirming that through the evidence of others in my life who are seeing the same leading. See what I'm saying? But now considering that, is God leading you somewhere today? Is is God leading you to an unknown place where, where you can't see into the future? And there's lots of question marks you have. The question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Maybe, it's, maybe it is in a relationship. You know, just to continue piggy, piggybacking off of last week's message. Maybe, maybe the Lord is leading you away from a particular relationship you're in because clearly it's not God's will for you. And yet you've been in this relationship and so you just don't know what life would look like outside of this relationship. You're very uncertain about taking this step of, of faith and ending this relationship so that you can 
follow God and, and embracing, okay, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what this is going to mean, but I'm going to, I'm going to step out in faith and do what I believe would be right in the eyes of the Lord. Maybe it's not an intimate you know, relationship between a man and a woman. Maybe it's just relationship in, in the realm of, of friends. Maybe you're involved with a circle of friends. And you, you know that the Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. And you shouldn't really be hanging around these particular people. Maybe your parents have, have let you know that. And yet you're struggling letting go because you don't know, well, what if I distance myself from these people who aren't pursuing the Lord and I don't do what they do and I don't talk like they talk and I don't act like they act? What's it going to look like for me? What, what will they say about me? What, will I make other friends? This is where faith comes in, trusting the Lord through it all. Maybe it's in evangelism. Maybe the Spirit of God is leading you to speak about Christ to somebody and you don't know how they're going to react. What will they say? Do they want to engage in that kind of a conversation? Will they punch me? We don't know, right? You know, Abraham was called to go to a a foreign land. I, I pray that one day the Lord will raise someone up from this church. You know, maybe there'll be evidence of gifting in your life and explaining the Word of God and, and maybe ability to learn a, a different language and maybe a great desire on your heart to, to go to a, a place in this world where they don't know about Jesus. And yet you don't know what does that mean? What does that mean to leave the place where I've grown up and the place where I've always lived? To, to, to go to a place where people I don't know, they, they don't look like me, they don't talk like me. It takes great faith to follow the Lord into the I don't know. But this is what Abraham did, and this is a great encouragement to our souls as we consider his example this morning. Let's, let's consider next what it means to trust God in the seemingly impossible. God calls us to trust him in the seemingly impossible. Sometimes it's not that we don't know the details. It's, that it's quite clear what God is calling us to, and we just need to grow in our faith because we can't conceivably imagine how he's ever going to do what he said he was going to do. We're going to have to just skip over some of Abraham's story for the sake of time this morning. Go over to chapter 15. Abraham's in the land now. He's there with Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew. And it said after he rescued Lot from captivity, they came back. And it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son, it could be said, what will come out of your loins shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars 
If you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Again, Abraham's faith was not perfect. He, he, at times he doubted the Lord. He thought, okay, Lord, me and my wife were unable to have children. Maybe the promise that you said would come from us will come from our servant Eleazar. Later on, he's, he's going to continue to doubt the Lord. So maybe what you want me to do is go into my wife's servant and have an heir that way. And, and yet, even though his faith isn't a perfect faith, the Word of God says that he believed the Lord and the Lord counted his faith to him as righteousness. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. I want you to see this and perhaps even underline something if that's what you do and you don't have this underlined. Go, go to Romans chapter 4. Like I said earlier, Paul is appealing to Abraham as um, the model example of, of faith and, and to point out how God saves. And in verse 18... Talking about Abraham, Paul says, in hope, he believed against hope. (laughs) That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Look at verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. I love that verse. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Underline that, highlight that in your Bible. This is what we want to be like. Verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him. As righteousness. Sincere faith takes God at His word no matter how impossible it seems to you or me. Later when, when God is talking to Abraham and Sarah about this again in chapter 18 and verse 14, God says to them, is anything too hard for the Lord? And of course the answer is a resounding no. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. You know, I was thinking of barrenness and this, exp- this, this exclamation from the Lord is anything too hard for the Lord. And I, and I thought of Elizabeth and Mary in the New Testament. Right? And, and how the angel came to Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, and, and told him in Elizabeth's old age, even though she had been a- unable to conceive, she would have a child and he would be the forerunner to the Messiah. And then the same angel appears to Mary and says, Elizabeth, your cousin, she's six months pregnant, and behold, you, even though you've never been with a man, the Holy Spirit is going to put a child in your womb. You remember what the angel said to Mary? Nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Just a couple weeks ago, I was um, just sitting up in my bed early in the morning, just beginning to read the Gospel of John. First page, had read just a couple of verses. 
and I hear something, and I look over, and, and you, you, know, you see the little doorknob just move, and door opens up, and there's little Meredith, four years old, and she's got this smile on her face, and I wave her over, and she comes and nestles in beside me, and she looks down and sees my Bible, and she looks up at me and says, can I read the Bible with you, Daddy? <laughs> just melts your heart, right? Yeah, of course, of course you can. And I start reading to her from John chapter 1. Right in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I, and I forget, you know, a few verses down, and she, of course, has some questions, and I don't remember exactly what, you know, what phrase she used or what word she used in her question, but basically she's turning to me asking me about the eternality of the Trinity. And, and I tell her how, how Jesus always was, even before he was in his mom's tummy. And she looks at me and says, how is that even possible? How was Jesus alive before he was in his mommy's tummy? And I do my best to just share with her. But, you know, sometimes there's, there's some doctrines that we, we're trying to wrap our minds around, even as, as adults. And it just seems like, I don't understand. How, how is that even possible? We say the same thing, right? With our childlike faith. How is it even possible that our, our dead bodies will rise again to everlasting life without end? How is this possible? How, how is it even possible that God can be in control, complete control of every single one of our lives, and not only us, but every single molecule on this planet? How is it even possible that God can hear all the prayers of all the saints at the same time and, and He can organize them in His thoughts and He can respond to each one and, and keep track? How is it even possible? Maybe, maybe not looking at God, maybe looking at our own heart. How, how is it even possible that I can change? How is, it, how is it possible that I could be any different from the way I've always been? Maybe in a pattern of thinking or a pattern of behavior how can i be free from some some kind of addiction in my life listen god can do what we think could never ever be done amen god can save that person that we think could never ever turn to the lord he says is anything too hard for me is anything at all too hard for me and we need to remember that. We need to be refreshed this summer knowing that even though things may seem impossible to us, nothing is impossible to the Lord. And so we must trust Him completely. God says, I've got a plan going on here. I've got a plan for the fullness of time. I've got a plan to put all things in subjection to my Son, to make Him take first place in everything in every person's life, even in all the universe, in the things that can be seen and the things that can't be seen right now. I've got a plan. I've got a city coming, an eternal city, with no more tears and no more sorrow, where the king will reign and be honored as he deserves forevermore. I've got a plan going here. Will you trust me with your life? Will you trust me in the unknowable and in what seems impossible. Next, we're called to trust God in the utterly unthinkable. 
the utterly unthinkable. I was reading one author this week. I love what he said. He said, God doesn't always color inside of our lines. Isn't that great? God doesn't always color inside of our lines. He, he often leads us into places and circumstances that are really, really surprising to you and me. Some of you, even today, you're going through something that you never, ever thought you would have had to go through. For the rest, maybe it's not today, but it, it's someday. And the climax of Abraham's life is the day of his utterly unthinkable test. He's 25 years into his journey. Still, the, the child of promise has not been born through Sarah to him. In chapter 21 of Genesis, Isaac is born. And God calls Isaac Abraham's firstborn son. He's, he is the long-awaited son through whom the promises of God would come, through whom the nations and the, the, the great family promise to Abraham would begin. In chapter 22, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham. And we'll stop there for a second. Isaac, he's no longer a baby at this point. We don't know for sure exactly how old he is, but the text is going to refer to him as a boy, and this could also be translated young man. So he's grown some. He's some years into his life. And it says, look, look at chapter 22 and verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What? Just imagine at this point what Abraham must have been thinking. How can this be, Lord? How can you tell me? To, how can you ask me? How can I do this? And lest we think that this was somehow easy, you know, we, maybe we're familiar with this story and we, we read it without just seeing the, the gravity of what's going on here. Lest we think this was somehow easy for Abraham to do, look at what it says in verse 1. God tested Abraham. It, it wouldn't have been a test, right? If this wasn't difficult for Abraham to do. And God stresses, you're only son. there's no one else, right? There, this is a hundred years you waited for this child. I promised that your family would be great, that you would have descendants like the stars of heaven. Take your only son now and offer him to me as a burnt offering. The, the son whom you love with fatherly affection. Take your son and burn him. Look at verse 3, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, 
saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Can you imagine what that walk was like? Three days. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. We'll stop there for a moment. Like I said, this is not uh, something that I've never read before. I've read this many times and even multiple times this week in preparing for this message. And even just yesterday afternoon reading this particular passage, my stomach was in knots. It felt like it was upside down as I considered what Abraham must have been thinking walking up that mount. And I thought of the words of, of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 where Peter says, sometimes as God deems necessary in order to test the genuineness of our faith, He will put us in the fire like gold to burn away the dross. Abraham was certainly in the furnace right now. And some of you, some of you have had to go through difficulties and maybe even going through difficulties right now in your family that no one would ever want to have to go through. Maybe physical trials, maybe emotional burdens. You know, these, these circumstances in our lives that stretch us exceedingly. And it's here in these moments that God says, will you continue to trust me? Will you have faith? Another area I think that sometimes the unthinkable comes up is in the area of the workplace. Some of you, it would be just unthinkable to stay in the job that you're in and yet the Lord's not providing another opportunity. Some, some of you are, are in a job and I've talked to a handful of people, more, more than a couple of people, some of you maybe, who have come to me to talk about things going on in the workplace that your conscience just won't allow you to participate in, and yet you know if you, if you stand and, and you stand firm to your faith that you might lose your job. And I've had to encourage you. Will you trust the Lord in this? Some of you, your coworkers, know that, that you could maybe excel in the, in the place of work or maybe you, you own your own business and, and you could you know there's potential there for more and more 
and yet you're choosing what in the eyes of the world would be just utterly unthinkable to not pursue riches upon riches upon riches for the sake of better priorities in your life. The question before us is, will we put our devotion to God before everything else? Everything else. Even in the unthinkable trials of life. Abraham was prepared here to offer up his only son. The son whom he loved. Because of his great faith in the Lord. Look at verse 11. At this precise moment when Abraham took the knife. It says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And the angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Hebrews 11 comments on this as well in verse uh, 17 through 19. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. He was, going to, he was following through with this. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. It's amazing. In, in Abraham's heart, he was so committed in faith to seeing this through. When the angel stopped him, it was literally as if he'd received his son back from the dead. He, he didn't know all the details how, of how it was going to work. And yet he told the servants, we, me and the boy, we will be back. It was in the plural when he said, and we'll come back to you. He told his son, God will provide the lamb, my son. He trusted that somehow, someway, God would carry through his plan. And in this story, some have mistakenly viewed Isaac here as as the Christ-like figure. That's easy to do, you know, he, he's a son, there's a sacrifice, there's a resurrection, so, so maybe we're, we're to see Isaac here and think of Jesus. And in some ways, perhaps that is true, but, but Isaac isn't Jesus in this story. You know who, who is Jesus in this story? Look at verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The Lord will provide for himself the lamb, my son. And God did provide for himself the lamb. God spared Abraham's son, but Romans 8 verse 32 says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
At the climax of Abraham's life story, here we see foreshadowed our need for the Lord to provide a lamb, a substitute. Our faith, in and of itself, could could never accomplish salvation. There needed to be a lamb sacrificed for our sins. And it's faith in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that counts as saving faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's what we we see in Genesis and that's what we see in Romans chapter 4. And after Paul says that about Abraham, listen to what he says in Romans chapter 4 verse 23. It says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Praise God. But for ours also, it says, it will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you believe? Are you trusting in the Lord this morning? Do you have faith like Abraham's Faith in the unknowable, in the impossible, or what seems impossible, in the unthinkable trials of life. Are you exercising your faith in the risen Lord who came to conquer death for us? Are you trusting most importantly in Jesus, the Lamb of God, for the forgiveness of your sins? One last passage here in chapter 22 of Genesis Verse 15, it says that the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The word of God tells us that the offspring here is specifically Jesus. It's through Jesus that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And it is Jesus who will possess the gate of his enemies. He is the lamb slain in our place. He is the lamb who went to the grave but was raised again to life. And all who put their faith in him and him alone have hope that we too can be raised to life with him. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas and then arrested in the garden, he was praying with his disciples nearby. And the band of soldiers arrived And this was the day that Jesus was marching forward toward and he stood up before them. Whom do you seek? And Jesus of Nazareth. And in this exchange, Peter's there beside Jesus. Peter who said, Lord, I I will die with you. He, He raises his knife. And it says he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant Malchus. He's ready for an all out battle. No, you're not taking Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I came to lay down my life. I'm the Lamb of God. From before the foundation of the world, Peter, you don't understand. And he picked up the ear and he put it back on this man. 
And he turned to Peter and he said, Shall I not drink the cup? Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me to drink? The cup of God's wrath poured out for sin. Jesus said, I will drink the cup. I will drink the cup and cover over the sins of all those who will have faith in me like Abraham had. And their sins will be forgiven. And that's why we take the cup and we drink of the cup to remember that we didn't have to and we will never have to drink the cup of the wrath of God that Jesus drank for us.